Superpowers on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that lifts the voice of love from orgasms to superpowers and everything in between. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sex, Love, and Superpowers podcast show. I'm your host, Tatiana Berenday, and today I have with me a very special woman, Victoria Markham. We're going to be discussing the role of grief in our spiritual evolution. Now, this is not one of my normal topics, and some of you might wonder what it has to do about with sex, um, and maybe it has nothing to do with sex, but in my world, it has a lot to do with the dark feminine and our willingness to handle and navigate difficult terrain, and sometimes that enters into the bedroom as well. So in my universe, they're all interrelated. Uh, but before we go into this topic, I want to tell you a little bit more about Victoria. And I'm going to read the bio that she wrote. And I love this so much. And it's written um, in the first person. So this is Victoria's voice before you actually get to hear her voice. She says, over the years, I have read many bios that listed an array of appropriate and impressive educational qualities best to serve clients with. Deep inside, I would ask myself if I could entrust my heart, projects, confidence, solely based on the letters after someone's name. As I write this and introduce myself to you, I ask myself, do people want to know about my education or would they rather know about me and the depths of my life experience that brought me to a place honored enough to call you forth into your brilliance? I'm setting aside the mainstream way of introducing myself for a more personal, hearted delve into who I am so that you get a sense of me beneath the surface skin of where or with whom I have studied. I am someone who knows that in order to guide others, you must go to the depths and back yourself. I have been there. I still and always will go there. What makes me a unique and powerful guide and coach is the culmination of life experiences that have tested me down to the core. I have been brought to the bottomless pit of grief many, many times, thinking I would not come out, and I came out against all odds. I've traveled the world and had deep interfaces with many cultures, indigenous and modern. I have facilitated hundreds of women in various settings to honor and evoke their magnificence. I have sat on my knees countless nights in all-night-long sacred ceremony on Navajo land and with Native Hawaiians. I have attended the sunrise makahiki ceremonies honoring the seasons and cycles of their indigenous life. I've spoken in front of thousands of people in Germany at a conference for bringing back rites of passage and initiation for the youth in Europe, and sat for months at a time with teachers learning how to guide people back and forth across thresholds of life. I birthed three children at home, buried one at three and a half years of age. I have plummeted from a 150-foot cliff, died, then lived. I have stopped generational sexual abuse in my family bloodline and raised myself from a very young age. I'm 18 years happily married and have more certifications than I can list. After 22 years of education, eco-psychology is my focus, as I feel that healing cannot happen without connection to the natural world. I'm a guide, a resilient and reverent advocate for being real and awake. And this is why I love you to pieces. So... That was a really beautiful introduction, and welcome to the show, Victoria. Thank you, Tatiana. Thank you so, much. so I think our, our listeners already have a real strong sense just from that bio of who you are and, and what you bring and what you have lived, just a little taste of that. But I am going to ask you the question that I ask all of our guests when they come on this show. I'd love to hear it in your words. 
what are your superpowers? <laughs> well, you know, I've had some time to really set with this, um, this question and, you know, a superpower, what do I feel like is kind of unique beyond? And I, I think I just have one, you know, and it kind of covers everything. And I feel like my superpower is I land on my feet. You know, mm. I don't, I don't really understand exactly how that happens. <laughs> and I don't understand um, a lot of the support that comes uh, to hold me there, but I just always seem to keep landing on my feet. Makes me think of a cat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, from, from knowing you and, and working so intimately with you, I can absolutely attest to that. Um, and what you've walked through is, is tremendous and and the way that you continue to show up for life and and show up so boldly and so willing to be real and authentic and angry and in pain and in joy um and just real and raw is something i truly admire about you um so you know, we're here, we're discussing the role of grief in our spiritual evolution. And this is, this is a shadow topic. This is one that doesn't, doesn't get a lot of airtime, especially in our culture. You know, we're, we sort of expect grief to go away eventually. Um, and we don't know how to do it very well, in, in my opinion. Um, you know, you, you're someone who's walked through the tremendous grief of losing a child, which, you know, no one would ever wish on, on anybody. And, and yet you've walked through it and you continue to walk through it. And I would, I just love to hear, hear you speak a little bit about that and about how the grieving process and losing Koa and still mothering another child and birthing another child after that, you know, what that has been like for you in terms of your spiritual evolution. Yeah, well, I think, you know, the stark reality of Koa's death really catapulted me into, into really understanding that I don't really know my evolution <laughs> in general, you know, that it kind of took me out of the control space and put me into a full surrender into this life. And instead of having the answers, it brought me to the questions. And as I would ask the questions, um, it just seemed like life started living itself. And instead of getting out in front of it and trying to steer it and believe that I was manifesting and making happen this life that I so badly wanted, I started to get behind it and just really um, breathe into what am I doing here? And what are we doing here? And what was the evolution of my child? And was it really a tragic accident? And I started following the questions down into the rabbit hole that I was already going into, the grief, you know, the underworld. And what I found when I got there, Tatiana, was that there's so much more um, to death than dying, and there's so much more to grief than grieving. Mm. And 
that was unexpected. You know, it's our culture. We walk around feeling like, oh, someone dies, then we go into grief, and then we go into the lament process, and everyone brings the casseroles, and then three weeks, a month goes by, we're supposed to get back to our life. There's this kind of format that's been laid out of the stages, you know, but they really there really aren't any stages. There really aren't any. They're actually, it's total chaos. And and then yet down in the underworld comes this other information that is not available to the upper world who's not experiencing the grief. And that's that, that really life keeps living you and you keep breathing and there is new beginning within the old endings. And even in the most excruciating of pains of my life, I was able to create a beautiful daughter. You see, so that's, that's the kind of cycle is like the worst thing in the world that this culture says can happen to someone evidently just happened to me. And, and one year later, I'm growing life inside of me that happens to be the most beautiful, buoyant, healthy, loving, sweet, magical little girl (laughs) that I birthed at age 43 against all odds of, you know, our culture believing we're too old to birth at that age. You see, so it just broke all the rules. Everything, everything that was a rule about life or that I was holding onto as a structure just broke apart. Which is, it might seem odd to say, but there's so much freedom in that. Exactly. Um, we're going to go to a quick break. And, uh, and when we get back from the break, we're going to continue with this conversation. There's a lot that we can cover and a lot that we won't get to because this topic is pretty bottomless, I think. But um, before we go to the break, will you tell everybody where they can go to find out more about you? Right now, my website is under construction and will be launched by the end of May. So right now, you can find me on Facebook at Victoria Markham. Okay. And what will your website be? Because the chances of this getting aired before it's launched are slim. So probably by the time people are listening to this, um, your website's live. Yeah, it's called Victoria. Um, say that one more time because I heard you sort of phase out, so I didn't get it, but maybe someone else did, but say it again for my purposes. Victoria, which is my first name, and then dot life, L-I-F-E, Victoria dot life. That's the whole website? That's it. Oh my God, I love it. Okay. (laughs) So we've been talking with Victoria Markham about the role of grief in our spiritual evolution. You can find her at Victoria dot life, and we are going to do a high vibe deep dive with this when we return so stay tuned are you here to change the world do you talk about things like vibration frequency awakening and consciousness are you pretty sure you have superpowers the superpower net is unlike normal coaching programs and conscious communities we provide training intuitive guidance peer-to-peer learning intensive one-on-one coaching and a high vibrational network of people just like you when you join the net you get 24 
Voice have an access to a collaborative group of people who support you as you master your personal power and unlock your superpowers. If you're ready to use your superpowers to change the world, then join the Superpower Net today. Visit superpowerexperts.com slash the net to learn more. Okay, and we're back. Victoria, you said something earlier that I want to flesh out a little bit because you mentioned um, about being in the underworld and how when you were down there, there are things that are accessible that aren't accessible to the people who are sort of up above not feeling the grief. And there is something in that that I really want to I want to dissect a little bit and dive into a little bit more because I think that it's not necessarily that you have to go through as horrific an experience as what you went through to go down into the those depths of grief. Um, but there's something about allowing yourself to feel grief when it arises. Would you say that that is accurate? Yeah, you know, through throughout my life, I've heard over and over again, you know, people who approach me will say things like, well, I've gone through this thing, but it's not near what you've gone through, you know? And it's almost like they're afraid to compare. But what I always responded and from a young age um, responded the same way in order to not alienate, (laughs) you know, and to really include uh, people in the grief process that, that we were both going through is to say to them, you know, really, once we get across the line of what causes the grief, the transition, the transformation, the, the challenges we're facing are very similar. There may be a level of intensity that's different, but really the grief is the grief and the tears are the tears. And if you've cried a tear or something's not gone your way, or you have had um, what we consider in this culture, a loss of control of our lives in any way, then we've, we have the grief. And feeling it and experiencing it in every moment to me is really a practice for some of the bigger griefs that hit. You know, that a lot of the ancient cultures or the more intact cultures have dying practice. You know, they have practices of going out and actually enacting um, things that bring fear or or enacting a death, they'll even dig a hole and lay down in the hole and stay there for four days and nights as a symbolism of what's dying in their life. There's a lot of symbolic death in um, the historical cultures. And really in my uh, mind's eye now, what I understand is those things were meant to give us practice for how, how to go deep and go in. And so the many griefs we experience in everyday life are like that too. So yes, feeling them as they're there is a really good idea. And it's so scary for people though. I mean, people won't touch it. They're afraid to touch grief. Well, you know, Tatiana, what's even scarier is not. It's missing altogether this incredible gift that comes from it. And not only that, but grief grief is a vengeance. It has a muscle to it and it doesn't just go away it inverts into our lives. I've seen it time and time again now working with people. And really the big, the big griefs, what we, what we could d- identify as big griefs, when they come and hit life, they go back and harvest all those little griefs that we hid and didn't want to face. You know, So one way or another, we're going there. One way or another, we're going there. So it's a really emotionally intelligent thing to do to start having a grief practice now. Yeah, because if you don't, then your body starts to take it on and create all sorts of crazy 
illness or, you know, it gets packed into ourselves. Well, interesting enough, you bring, you know, your podcast is on sex, love and superpowers. And you had a little, um, you know, moment in the beginning where you're saying you didn't know what it has to do with sex. Well, I'll just tie it in real quick for this. So a lot of grief does get stuck in the physical body. And really a lot of times what happens with grief is it also numbs. And so Mm -hmm. you'll see in marriages or in relationships a lot where people either um, completely can't let somebody touch them or they can only let somebody touch them if they're intoxicated or they can only um, check out while somebody is touching them. Huge population of people like that. That's unexpressed grief in the body. You know, that's unexpressed grief in the emotions. That's, we stop sensing into life and feeling deeply into life on all levels and sex included, you know, when we don't grieve. Yeah. So I think it's fair to say that allowing oneself to grieve can open up a really rich and deeply powerful sex life. Absolutely. Because what marriage doesn't have grief in it? Which relationship doesn't have grief? Right. Either preceded it or is in it now, you know? Yeah. What person is not carrying, whether it's their own or it's some ancestral grief that they're holding on to? It's, it's something that we all have and we all touch. And I, so I think to, to pretend like grief only happens when, you know, your son gets killed, um, which of course it's going to happen in that experience. But like it, there's so many places where grief weaves itself into our lives. You know, it's, it's so interesting for me to hear you say um, what you said earlier about, about, you know, if you've shed a tear, if you felt the pain, then you've, you know, underneath, regardless of what catalyzed it, grief is grief and the pain is pain. And um, I remember the first time I heard somebody who on the outside had suffered atrocities that I could never even imagine. It was actually Ishmael Bea, who was a child soldier in Sierra Leone. And, um, and he said the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it blew my mind, you know, cause he was like, if your dog dies and you experience pain around that, that's the same pain. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, I was like, you know, n- not having experienced what he's experienced, never, well, I never will experience what he experienced. Um, it was like, I couldn't wrap my mind around how that could be possible. Yeah. So you start to tease out, you know, some of this, we've clumped the, the process of grieving into one, you know, one word, one timeline, you know, we've reduced it to the point where it just has such a small place in our lives and in our communities and our culture. And it belongs to death and it belongs to the bigger, you know, more tragic events. And it's just not true. You know, I, my whole study right now actually is revolving around the innate grief process that we all have and the understanding that, you know, there's a life cycle and that it, grief is so much a part of it that, um, you know, how, how is it that we live and we die, but we don't include grief and we don't want to look at the other end of, of life, which is death. Mm-hmm. And if death is natural, because we're all going to do it, every last one of us, right? Um, and then so is grief. And if we can, if our bodies die, and we know how to die, which our bodies do know how to die, even against our own will, we also know how to grieve. And so, what 
what do we align with in this culture that helps us to understand how to grieve and that it's an innate natural process within us. It's supported by our general being. Otherwise, we can't survive things like our son dying in a tragic accident. You know, how do people walk through that? How do people get through that? We have an innate ability to do that. If we align, if we align with the natural helpers and wisdoms and emotional intelligence that's available to the grief world, then it's not so big and scary and not so um, daunting. You know, it's just that we don't have the emotional intelligence to understand how to maneuver grief. So it's so darn intimidating and people avoid it like as much as they can. Yeah. Um, and, and so I had a, I, I interviewed a, a friend of mine who is a somatic, um, therapist and she was talking about grief and how actually our nervous systems can't always process grief alone. No. Um, how important to your journey was having some kind of community experience, whether it was just through friends and family or through ceremonial ways. And do you think that your process of grieving would have been different if you hadn't had that? Oh yeah. I think not having that equates an isolation and, you know, maybe, you know, if we worked on this for another 50 to 100 years as a culture, we could have a little bit more alone time during grief. But I don't think it's a very good idea um, for the mindsets that we have in this culture now. It, we're just not healthy enough to, to, to go out on our solo grief pilgrimages like they used to do or to have that alone time. I think community is absolutely essential I personally, um, and I, I know it's not personal to me because I've spoken now with hundreds <laughs> of women who have um, buried their children, but you know, the hard part, Tatiana, about community is that we're so ill-equipped to handle such grief that mm -hmm. when we do move into our, into our communities, even our up-close and personal communities, or maybe even especially them, um, you know, people don't know what to say to us. They feel intimidated by the level of grief we're under. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a big gray blanket of, oh, how horrible. And there's this kind of paralyzation that comes um, when nobody has any understanding of how to be with grief, mine or, or theirs. Right. And so th that's a natural place of isolation that begins. It's like I tried to go out into my community and my community had no language for holding me and they said stupid things or they said things that hurt me or they avoided me or they didn't you know, know how to be with me. So there's a big education that wants to happen there. And then the other part is, you know, our culture in general has really failed us in the world of death and bereavement and grief and and so we try and move out into the professional world to get some relationship and to get some understanding. And we're put into offices for an hour and a half and charged $150. And then we're sent back out into our life for the rest of the 22 and a half hours of the day, which a lot of those are spent awake, <laughs> you know, when you're grieving deeply and there's no real support. It just doesn't happen that way. Grief is wild and it's not linear and it doesn't belong in an hour and a half slot. And it is um, not something that we can really speak to or 
put words on like, I'm so sorry, you know? So, what are, so I have, I have a question for you in this. Um, what for, for people listening who maybe know somebody who's gone through some incredible thing and they're grieving, what is your suggestion that they like, how do they relate to that person? What do they say? What do they do? Basic human needs need to be met. Can I buy you a meal? Um, can I buy your groceries today? Can I go to the grocery store for you? Can I come and clean your house? Can I watch your children? Um, going and getting them something that you know a human life needs. You don't have to even ask ahead of time. Dropping it on their doorstep. When you are in presence, let's say that, that you're chosen to walk into the, the sacred circle of their grief journey. Simple presence. You know, just simple presence, not a lot of words. Just notice what needs to be done and get up and start doing it in their home. Or sit beside them and grab their hand and hold their hand. Don't try and over-language or think you have to say something. Or fix it, right? I think what what we sense as an outer community when somebody is in the midst of a deep grief is that they're in a sacred place. Yes. And so treat it like you are entering sacred space, like you would if you were entering a temple. Yeah. It's something very profound that, that you don't understand, that you do not get to feel or fix is happening inside of that person. So enter in sacred space and treat it as holy because a holy divine uh, deepening of the most tragic sort is taking place. So that's my advice. And I, you know, I, I think it's true that, that we don't get to feel exactly what they're feeling, but I think it's also true that we can enter into that space with them and be in empathy and actually allow ourselves to feel a degree of what they're feeling. Um, There's a, a little bit of danger there. And I, I do agree that somebody of, of your emotional intelligence would, would find that space, you know, you, you know, when you're speaking to the general population and we're just in a practice yeah. learning this, I think it's a little bit, um, you know, what I see most is people enter that sacred space and all they can think about is what if it happened to them, mm-hmm. you know, right. which is a natural feeling, but that's, that's best done in your own world, in your own daily life, you know, not in the presence of somebody else saying, I can't imagine. Right. It just, you know, you're, you're telling somebody that they're in a place that you can't even imagine being or going. Yeah. And that kind of interrupts where they're deciding they are. You know, they need to decide where they are first. Yeah. I was just more like, I, I think you're absolutely spot on. What I was envisioning was just, you know, sometimes I have this experience of, of touching into what someone else is feeling and letting the feeling run through my body without a story overlay you know, just like letting the tears come because they're there. Um, and without words, without a need for words, like I wouldn't in the, in, in, in my imagination, when I asked that question, it was like, you know, just showing up. I know it's so interesting, Tatiana, because, you know, you are one of the people that I would definitely call on and have had, you know, by my side. And yes, if you have that presence then bring it, you know, you're allowed to cry in front of grievers. It's not, that you have to be stealthy and, you know, shut down. It's just uh, be very tender in, yeah. in what you're experiencing um, in their presence. Let them have their full experience and have it alongside them, you know? 
without interrupting it or I just remember one of my most favorite people and this woman is absolutely cultivated in herself but she walked right up to me right after my son died and she looked me in the eyes and she said this is so horrible this is just the worst thing and I looked at her and I didn't I was still in shock and I didn't know yet that this was the worst thing and I didn't know yet that this was so horrible. I just knew that my son wasn't with me and I was shifting dimensions. I was somewhere else, you know, and, and to have somebody tell, report to me that that's what's happening, it, it just shook me to the core. Like I had to process that for, I'm still processing that, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, don't inform people what they're going through. Let them tell you what they're going through, you know? And so you, you asked a question earlier, and I want to make sure and circle back around mm-hmm. about going to other cultures. And this perfect segue is that I, we did have to leave our country to find the, the grief work that we were looking for. There was a few people in the Southwest that had some really beautiful programs. I'll mention Ted Wired out in um, Taos and... Um, Joanne Cacciatore, uh, she's a specialist that, that is down in Sedona that deals mainly with women, uh, families that have children that have died. So amazing people. But those were the two programs that I found in our whole entire country to go and spend any time at that made sense. Other than that, we stepped out of our culture and we looked into cultures the African culture, we looked into the Latino culture, we looked into the Hawaiian culture, which is still in our country, but they are sovereign, <laughs> you know. They're, yeah, they're told I don't yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and the and within our country as well, the Navajo Nation, which again is sovereign. It's a not it's a part of our country, but they're a different world and mm-hmm. and I have um, relatives and relationships of the heart in these places and we were able to go and visit those places and people and just really bring our full story, our full grieving hearts and, and look for ways to find, to catch our breath, to find air again. Because the only thing that was laid on us in our own culture was these big gray blankets of horribleness, you know, and how tragic and how horrible and, you know, come to my appointment for an hour and a half and do all this tapping and eye rapid movement and you're going to feel better. No, I didn't. And when I went to other communities and cultures, it was like week-long ceremonies, and and there were deep journeys that happened at night, and there were sunrise moments, and there were um, elongated um, understandings. Very little language, very little words. Yeah. Ritual. Yeah. It was ritual. And so, when you're talking about showing up for people, move ritually. You know, it's walk in. If they're a spiritual person, burn some cedar or sage. If they're not, bring flowers. Um, You know, cleanse space. Ask if there's anything, um, you know, a favorite object that they love. Bring them a crystal, bring them a a teddy bear. You know, the spectrum I'm trying to cover is like, how do you presence people when they're in these spaces so that the grief has permission to be grieved? Yeah. That's the most important thing. Yeah, and that's we have a lot of work to do because I think there's a lot of people who would hear you say move 
move ritually and would have no clue what that means or how to even start doing that. And yet, like you said, like we have an innate knowledge of how to do this. We just have to get out of the way and remember it and allow it to come through. Well, we also have to remember, Tatiana, that, you know, we're practicing rituals every day. People just don't call it that. I mean, the birthday is a ritual. You bring presents, you have a cake. That's a ritual. You know, things that have things to them, objects that we use and we focus around, wishes that we make on ourselves, baptismals are rituals, you know, just getting into some of the more mainstream things that we do mechanically that we don't always know we're doing, Mm -hmm. you know, even though I absolutely despise the way we bury our people in the, in the Christian modern day culture these days, I can say that that's also a ritual. Everybody wears black, everybody shows up, they sit down, Mm -hmm. they, you know, make speeches. It's, it's not some big daunting word. It's just a rhythmic movement that allows us to notice the situation that we're in and without words, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that without words piece is so key. Yeah. We try to put, you know, and 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 not like needing to fix. Like it's so hard to be in the presence of someone else's pain without trying to fix it. And that, in my experience of grief, is like I don't need you to fix this. You can't fix this. You can't bring that person back. No. All you can do is just be here with me and witness it. Yeah, because you know it really doesn't need to be fixed, and I think right. That's- that people don't get is they they want the pain to go away for the person and that person needs that pain that person well that pain i mean in my experience and and you and i are similar in that you know i found in my grieving process the ceremony the indigenous ceremony to be like such a salve for me and it was kind of the first place where i could go and experience that and be held in that and without language you know for four days (laughs) and um, when I got to, you know, be in the Sundance after my brother died, it was like, okay, I get to take this grief somewhere and I get to, I get to just be in it and I don't have to do anything differently. And, and, and there's something like, if we circle back around to something you said earlier about how we're all going to die someday. I know there's a lot of us out here who are maybe still in denial of that fact, but everybody's body is going to return to the earth at some point. Um, which means that death is natural which means that grief is natural, which means there's nothing to fix because there's nothing wrong going on. There is a natural process unfolding in front of you. That's all that's happening when someone is in grief. That's right. Exactly. And so your friend who did the somatic work, you know, which I I really love, I'm studying Peter Levine's somatic experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what they're what they're saying is that our bodies have a wisdom, you know, they have a wisdom on how to discharge the energy um, that builds during, uh, during our person dying or our marriage falling apart or our job loss or our house burning down or our brother dying or our sister dying. You know, there's, there's energy that builds around that and that our bodies have a natural ability to dispel that energy given the right circumstances. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, that's the question is what is the right circumstance? And that's, my work and my place is to try and help create what that right circumstance can, can look like, you know. Yeah, and so tell us a little bit about, about what your work looks like. Like what, what is your work with, what does your work look like when, why do people come to work with you? How do you work with them given everything that we've just discussed about the grieving process and about not sitting in someone's office for an hour and a half and, and doing 
you know, tapping. Well, you know, it's so interesting to try and explain, you know, because really what I found is when I tried to um, make sense of it so that I could language it out for the people, it was just so hard to bring all of these elements into, into language. You know, what is it that I do offer? As I said, grief is wild and grief is uh, it's really not containable. There's no rules to it. There's no boundaries to what it touches or where it goes next in someone or in their life. You know, a lot of people that have experienced large grief will then experience another grief right after and another. It just is like this cleansing agent that comes through. And so my work is more of an image, you know, um, believe me, I am putting it in words because I, I'm a part of this modern day culture and I'm going to language it. But imagine for the sake of just speaking right now that, that I just have my arms out as far stretched as I can with my hands slightly bent in and, and you're in that container of my arms being there. And I'm literally moving, allowing all the space of my arms outstretched while you move within that container. And I'm just dancing with you. If you need to go to the hospital, I go to the hospital. If you need to go out to the wild, I go to the wild. If you need to go home, I go home. If you need a meal, I cook a meal. If you need to cry, I cry with you. If you need to um, get your mind straightened out, I go into the mind. If your career is falling apart, we work on coaching with career. If your body hurts, we deal with your health. Um, it, it, it cannot be so specific because it is it touches every place in one's life. Mm-hmm. But where I find mostly people are leaning on me right now because we are at a very beginning place with allowing grief in our culture at all is that they want to understand. <laughs> they want to understand what they're going through. <laughs> so there's a lot of, of restructuring language and thinking and um, getting out of the concepts of fitting ourselves into our back into our communities, fitting ourselves back into our life and helping people expand. You know, um, like for instance, yesterday a client was saying, my family thinks I need to let go and have peace a year after her brother committed suicide and she found him. What does it mean to let go or get over something? Like we don't get over it. And so we change that get over into integration. Yeah. How do we integrate it? Yes. Yes. I'm so glad you said that because I think that is, it is so true. You don't get over something like that. No. You don't. I mean, my brother died and I, I saw him in the hospital right afterwards. And, you know, that is forever in my in my cells, in my, in my wheelhouse. It's a, it made me part of who I am today. You know, that experience shaped me and to pretend that it didn't. I mean, that's kind of like what, what someone is insinuating of let go of like, Oh, just like pretend that didn't happen. You can't pretend that didn't happen. It happened. And it's going to inform who you are. Why would you pretend that? (laughs) How could you? And why would you? We just see the, the ridiculousness of that, you know, it just, 
it is happening and it is very much a part of our everyday being, this grief walk and what we experience. And we are so capable of it if we just stop avoiding it, you know? Yeah. And I think that there's something too, like there's this idea that in order to, um, like we have to live in the heaviness if we're going to be in a grief process or if we're going to allow grief, we have to just like live in a heavy, dark place for the rest of our lives, which is not true. I think if we really fully allow ourselves to feel grief, that will come and go in waves. But it's also, I mean, the joy that can come and inhabit that dark space that you've allowed grief to carve out inside of you is so huge. And the bliss and the like total connected oneness experience that's possible through letting yourself go to that really deep, heavy grief place. (laughs) You know, the only... The only thing I've ever been able to equate that kind of ecstasy to is the sexual act. And Mm -hmm. also what, you know, um, you know, the hallucinations of their mind, you know, grief has a a way of blowing one's mind and and into that ecstasy. My husband, he calls it the unbearable lightness of being, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, I call it the tragic beauty, you know. It's like the back door to beauty mm-hmm. and priceless gift. Like it's a gift you would never pay for you. There's no price on it, but there is a gift there and there is a beauty. And that, that, t- that doesn't come right away. And that's why people don't want to grieve is because in front of all of that is this tremendous trust into the deepest pains of our life. And nobody wants to go through that to get to this back door of beauty. They just don't unless they have to. That's like birth, you know, like who would ever elect that kind (laughs) of pain? (laughs) And yet we do and we go through it. And on the other side is this like brand new, incredible, beautiful life. That's right. And so, and then there are those of us who do it over and over again. Right. right? And that's the same with love. How do we love knowing that each and every one of us is going to die? And that it's really not a matter of if someone you love is going to die, but when. Right. And and so why do we even try and love when we know, you know, these are the conditions of our human life. We love and we lose. People die and we grieve. These are our natural processes that take place and we have to stop holding them out and getting epidurals for our births and getting drugs to numb us out when our people die. You know, those are the basics, but just to really stop trying to run from what it is that we are here to really experience. Oh, I love you. And I'm, I know that we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours. And I just so appreciate you taking the time and space out of your day today to come and be with me in this way. It means so much. And um, I'm, I'm grateful for our listeners for, for taking in this information and for metabolizing it. And I hope that it serves you and that it serves someone else in your life. If you can really take, take this in, you know, let it sink in, be with it. And if you need support in that, you know where to go. Reach out. We love you. Um, so thank you, Victoria, so much for coming on the show. You're welcome, Tatiana. I love you. And thank you so much for inviting me. I love you too. Again, you can find out more about Victoria at victoria.life, which is like the best website name. I love it. It's not a .com. It's a .life. Um, And to my beautiful listeners, I love you so much. 
Thank you for journeying with us today and every day you show up. And until next time, go out and love yourself so that you can love the world more deeply. Many blessings. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today.